Welcome to Traditionally Talking, the podcast of the Federation of Victorian Traditional Owner Corporations. I'm your host, journalist Charles Parkiner, and in this podcast, we yarn with traditional owners from across the state about some of the amazing work being undertaken to care for and connect with country, build stronger culture and communities, and much more. The Federation of Victorian Traditional Owner Corporations acknowledges all traditional owners across the land now known as Victoria. We pay respect to their connection to land, waters, culture and law, and to Elders past, present and those who will lead in years to come. Joining me today on the podcast is Ewan man Daniel Miller, the Chief Executive Officer of the Gunai Kurnai Land and Waters Aboriginal Council, GLARWAC. Daniel, thanks for joining us on the podcast today, brother. Oh, thank you for having me. Daniel, the main thing we're focusing on today is the practice of cultural burning that GLARWAC has well, put into practice but gone through a lot of learnings to achieve the level it's at right now. Before we get there, what actually is the concept of cultural burning? No, it's, it's a really good place to start because that's something which needs a, a whole lot more attention, I think, and breaking down within the broader community. Often in large events, we hear that um, cultural burning becoming a bit of a catch cry in the media. And I know it worries me and it worries traditional owners in this, in this, certainly in this area because it's sort of about managing expectations of what we're actually talking about here because we, we don't want to see an idea of cultural burning being a saviour of towns and saviour of anything like that because that, that sets an unrealistic expectation on a traditional owner group. So for us here at Glarwak, we're looking at um, fire as an integral part of managing country in a, in a more healthy manner and done right it will impact how these large events occur I think and how people can be involved in managing country. So what we're doing here in a practical sense so we're dealing with a few issues. We're dealing with disengagement of culture from, from community. So there's a sort of an element of, of relearning and re-establishing what this sort of activity means. And there's also an element of integrating with what's happening at the moment. So we're, we're taking a really strong partnership approach with the state and, and others. When you say events, it's really you're talking about catastrophic events, so bushfires, major bushfires as were experienced here a couple of years ago. Yeah, large events like that. So in, in Gibson here, they sort of seem to happen every few years in a fire, mm. you know, from, from fire. We've had, um, it was 03, 06 or 07, I think it was, um, and then a couple more since. So, there's, so it sort of is, you know, maybe every five years, it seemed, we seem to get a big one. And when you were saying the unfair expectations or almost the absurd expectations of the, the general community, is there an expectation out there that, well, if we let mob manage the country as they should, then we're never going to have these catastrophic events again? Does that exist? I think that exists, and, and, and that's what we need to, to break down a, a, a little bit because it's the priority for the traditional groups in putting fire back in the country is about healthy country, not so much managing fuel and, and mitigating the the risk to, to life and property, mm. which obviously is important and, and, and we prioritise as well. But I can't have that level of pressure put on a traditional owner group when it's not their responsibility. So what actually is cultural burning in a nutshell? So, so for me, I think cultural burning is when someone or a family or a group who have cultural authority 
determine that they want to put fire into country in a way that suits them and suits that bit of country. Mm. So that's cultural fire. So we see there's a whole stack of levels here. So we see there's sort of the state's business as usual. They have some legislative responsibilities around managing it and reducing fuel or whatever. We have some partnership stuff where we're working with the state to get more of our traditional owner group involved in fire and actively participating and actively delivering it. And then we take it to another level, the cultural fire, when when it's the right time and the right place and determine as a cultural activity. So just because Glowak are doing it doesn't mean it's a, it's a cultural activity. Now, when the family or the clan determines that it's the right time to introduce the fire on the cultural burning, what are some of the expectations that they see coming about from that burning? And we know about some seeds that will only really open and germinate once they've been subjected to fire. Uh, what are some of the other factors? You're right. It's about managing all those elements of country which we all know fit together nicely in a, in a natural system. So whether it be to promote some flowering or some seeding or to allow movement through an area or for the visual and mental health aspects of people working on country you know, with country. And you were mentioning before that, or you intimated before, that there were some challenges in, in relearning, in resurrecting this practice in this area. What were some of those key challenges and how did you and the mob overcome them? So we haven't overcome, we're overcoming, I suppose. It's a bit of a journey. Work in progress. Work yeah. in progress, yeah. I think largely it's sort of confidence and knowing how to step into this space a bit because it's seen, it is a highly regulated um, area of, of managing country and it's, it should be because the consequences can be catastrophic as we know so I think it's sort of about being organised and, and, and building some confidence in the ability to, to actually do it so for GLOWAC our uh, role here is to is to sort of facilitate that so with with a bit of structure and a bit of you know safety element and some support with you know some small vehicles and machinery kind of things you know we can allow the activity to happen in a safe way that hopefully doesn't sort of have any unfortunate consequences for for anyone and the last thing any we want is a traditional group to try and activate you know their culture yeah. and, and practice their culture and then for it to um, something to happen which they didn't intend so has there been a relationship set up with the state government uh, for these particular practices and the FRV, Fire Rescue Victoria, and the um, CFA? Yeah, particularly with Fire Management Victoria, uh, as which are a part of DELP. So we've got some regional relationships with DELP where we've agreed on how we're going to approach this. So, so we currently um, have some staff who participate in DELP fire suppression and proactive firework through summer and alongside the DELP staff. So that's sort of about, again, a capacity building exercise for, for us. And now we're sort of currently working on a way of approaching uh, fire in a crown land sense, so, so in the natural landscape, that meets the governance needs of, of the state in, in what you have to do to prepare and plan for fire in a, fire, uh, sure. a proactive fire activity, mm. but to do it in a way that suits us. You also mentioned before that this is learning, this is a, an ongoing process or work in progress. When did it actually start as a practice within Glarwack and what were the driving factors? So I think it started with, as I mentioned, some of our staff participating in the state-managed fire activity uh, and that happened every year for, you know, for, for quite a few years and it still still happens now. Our staff can choose to do that. As we, as we built uh, Glarwack up into a more active manager of country, then we naturally get more involved in more elements of country and fire is definitely one of them. And So we see fire as its own discipline and its own area of you know, technical interest and, and knowledge, 
But it's, it's, as I keep coming back to it, it's, it's absolutely a part of managing healthy country, which is our sort of primary focus, you know, a healthy, healthy country. Healthy country or healing country is only one component, though, of, of I know what GLAWAC is doing in its overall land management practices. There's also connecting to country, which is an important aspect. How does this fire management assist in getting mob and Glawak connecting to country. And that's a really good point because, as, as we know, people on country is an, is an important element of their health and well-being as well as the health and well-being of country. They sort of go intimately together. So to see a group of Glawak staff actively working in, in a fire space and having a great time, enjoying it, you know, the flames are sort of up to your knees and they're, they're walking around it and they're actively in there, it sort of speaks for itself. You know, you can see how much people enjoy it. And... And a fire, as we know, also has a way of drawing people together, I think. When we sit around a fire, you know, we often light a smaller fire, so we sort of sit together because a bigger fire has the tendency to push us apart. You know, a little fire brings us together. And I think um, that sort of stuff rings true with with this activity as well. It brings people together, people are interested, they like to see how it improves country, they like to see the regrowth, and and it it feels good, I think. You've got about 70-plus staff members in Glarwack, substantial by any any measure how many of those people do you have devoted to fire practice there's several positions in glowack that have some dedicated time to fire but you know my vision is to have more staff involved in it in a more or less way depending on their ability and their interest so on a day where we're having a fire activity if i had almost all of our staff there you know as practicable then that that'd be a good outcome um, men and, and it's important we have a mix of men and women. It's important we tr- we're trying to get more community who perhaps aren't staff members but yep. are, are part of the Gunnar community t- to come along as well and we can pay them for their time and that sort of stuff. So I guess my answer is everyone, if I can. What are some of the key challenges you've faced, though, in, in relearning, cultural challenges? So there's sort of challenges in, from a cultural sense and also from a conventional sense. So the, the cultural challenges are around the confidence and the authority for a country. So how um, how and who are going to lead an activity. Yeah. And at the moment, it's often Glawak in a practical sense sort of doing it. And, and, and my hope is that more community will come to us at some point and say, I'm interested in injecting fire into country at this place at this time for this reason. Can you help us? And the answer will be, you know, yes, as best we can. The conventional stuff is there's a lot of really good people working for the state who are really interested in, in supporting this. And it's sort of just about helping the two mesh together in a way that allows allows it without conflict of the of the two processes. I How far along the planned learning curve do you think Glarwax currently at? There's a statewide cultural fire strategy. Mm-hmm. We've got our own fire strategy. We've got a fire plan that we actively use with the state each season, each year. We contribute to the to their fire planning process, and there is community members that are interested in it, and uh, and staff, of course. So I'd like to see more smoke in the air more often, but um, that's sort of coming, I think. You know, I, th- I think that will come. And how many burns would you do in a year? We participate in quite a few with the state agency, so we might participate in 10 or 20 to take more of a lead on it. It'll be a smaller number at this stage. It might only be a handful. Sure. But one of the things that Glowak we're really conscious of is pacing. We don't want to go too far too fast because it is quite intimidating to take on too much. And, and as I said, earlier the, the consequences of this work can be catastrophic so we do need to sort of take those manageable steps what are some of the key learnings that you believe have been gained by the team within glarwack 
that you'd be prepared to pass on to non-traditional owner groups and traditional owner groups around Victoria and even further afield? One of the key learnings is, is the importance of recognising who can support you, so who the partners are. Yeah. So um, you, know, you might not need a lot, but in, in some cases, especially when you're learning or preparing, the importance of partnerships is, is, uh, is really high, I think. And un- understanding what you're doing and why. So part of the experience of working at Glowick, I hope, for all the younger staff in particular, is about reading country. So when they're out there, they can start to read and understand what they're seeing a bit more, which becomes a really important element of knowing when and, and how to put fire into, into country. Daniel Miller, CEO of Glowack, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Great, thank you.